Good morning out there, all of you smart HVAC marketing listeners. I know that it's uh, it's Wednesday morning, wherever you're at listening to this. It's Friday currently, uh, so we've got an exciting episode for you guys coming up here uh, with our friend John Michael over at BDR, Business Development Resources. And we're going to talk about you know, different ways that you can track your marketing spend, ways that you can allocate your marketing spend properly in order to hit goals, um, different ways you can set expectations with your with your marketing to make sure that it's online, you know, in line with your goals for the year. Um, so really excited to dive in on this one. And uh, here we go. Welcome to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, the podcast for HVAC contractors who are ready to quit screwing around and begin growing their business. Powered by Rival Digital. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders and become equipped with the tools and knowledge you need to build a world-class business. Now, here's your host, Eric Thomas. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Happy Wednesday, if you're listening to this in the future. Um, Eric Thomas here, host of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast with Rival Digital, uh, and super excited for today's episode with John Michael at BDR, uh, an episode that I've been really looking forward to for a while now because this is a question we get from listeners quite often, from you know from clients of ours even quite often is um, how do we set goals? You know how do we understand our numbers and how do we understand how marketing plays into those numbers? How can we you know, reverse engineer our goals back to call count, back to ad spend, all that stuff. So, John, how are you doing today? Eric, I am doing great. I really appreciate you inviting me this morning. And uh, like you said, I've been really looking forward to to this subject uh, and talking with you and uh, and your listeners. So thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Well, John, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Because I know you have an extensive uh, history in this industry. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners out there and tell them a little bit more about yourself? Well, I love the industry. Um, I love the company I work with and and the clients that I'm fortunate and blessed to work with on a daily basis. Um, I've been in the industry about 27 years um, and I've been able to, you know, been fortunate to get a lot of great experience uh, in the companies and the people that I've worked with. Um, I've worked in, um, I started off working kind of in the fuel business that had a lot of service and replacement attached to it. Um, over a thousand service technicians in that company. Wow. So I got to do a lot of different things in that company, a public company. Um, and then I left and went to a regional company that um, our goal was to uh, to grow 20, 30% a year. And we did that for, for over 10 years, uh, became of a, uh, Became president of that company, you know, 400 employees, 400 trucks. Uh, so lots of lots of great experience. And then I worked with some, with another company, you know, kind of merging some companies together and growing their service uh, and their install and sales side of it. Now I work with uh, Business Development Resources (BDR), um, and through my entire career, we worked with BDR as a customer, helping us grow our business and. Uh, and uh, grow uh, our team members and make them successful. So I work with BDR, which is a, a coaching and training company out of Seattle, Washington. And we work with um, hundreds and hundreds of uh, coaching clients and and training uh, partners throughout the United States of America in HVAC, 
plumbing, electrical, etc. So love to be part of the trades, love to uh, help people and share, you know, the, in, the industry experience that I have and the rest of the people at BDR have with, with our clients. Yeah. That's what it's all about. You know, just giving back the knowledge that you have, passing it on to the next generation uh, of contractors in the trades, which is awesome. So, um, you know, throughout your time at BDR and even, you know, your time in the, in the field or in the trades as, you know, president running different companies, um, what's been kind of like a common denominator of issues that you've seen companies struggle with when it comes to marketing? Well, I think, you know, I can talk about myself and I can talk about the people that I work with. There's always this question of how much to spend mm -hmm. and where to spend it and how to track it. So um, I'm excited to talk to you about those things. What, what is the payback in our marketing? You know, how do we, how do we allocate it? Where do we put it? How do we track it? That is a key question I get all the time with um, my, my clients. And I know I had it, um, you know, as a, uh, as a contractor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's dig right into that, you know, cause that is a question that we hear often is how much percentage of revenue should we put into marketing? Um, how do we track it? So on and so forth. So when it comes to marketing spend, you know, how do we, how do we track the marketing spend, you know, and kind of tie it back into our goals? It's a great question, Eric. Great place to start this morning. So I think we need to begin, you know, looking, how are we going to track it? Um, and that all, I, that all begins with, you know, looking at where is our company going, you know, in the coming year as we're doing our budgeting, you know, how many calls are we going to have and how are we going to track our marketing to those calls and how are we going to allocate our marketing uh, to those goals? So some of the, some of the metrics or you could say, say marketing KPIs would be the cost to acquire a sold job or a service ticket. So we want to allocate our marketing to our different departments. Um, in this case, you know, the service department, which which is a company inside of the company typically, and then our sold jobs. So we look at our lead count by source for sales. So what are, are the different sources of our marketing? And then what sales are we getting in each of those buckets? We do the same thing in service, right? <clears throat> you know, what are the different sources of marketing we're doing? You know, website, Google local services, um, you know, other, um, other sources for bringing leads in, um, mailers, um, you know, newsletter, whatever it might be. How are we tracking that directly to the service calls? Okay. We also look at our close ratio and our average ticket that we have by the different lead sources. And then what percentage of calls result in booked appointments? So mm -hmm. are we, we might be getting the calls, right, Eric? But yeah. if, if our CSRs aren't, um, you know, if we don't have a good process in place, marketing's really a process like everything else. Um, I would say, you know, this, our businesses and the, in the uh, trades is, I don't know of a business that's more process driven, but we're extremely process driven. Mm -hmm. So, and then we got to look at how many new customers do we need, right? Versus existing, you know, yeah. um, we'll talk through this today. I'm sure like we have to market to our internal customers all the time. Also, in addition to 
are uh, the clients we need to bring in. So if we need to grow by 20%, how many clients do we need to bring in? You know, yeah. so, um, you know, there's, we have a lot of tools, we have a lot of tools in our tracking, you know, um, you know, you can use your, you know, your existing software, the service Titans, Field Edge, House Call Pro, whatever your operating system, you know, to be able to automate the tracking of your marketing, you know, utilizing call tracking, client profiles, and um, some of them even have brand new <coughs> integrations with Google Local Services and Google Ads. So this means technology is now making it um, more effective to track your marketing dollar easier than it has been, I think, in the history of our industry. So, yeah, yeah with, you know, with all those tools available, it, it seems like, you know, the, the contractor who's savvy with it or has a good coach or a good marketing partner who can help them understand it, they tend to benefit more than those who may not. So what's some advice that you'd give to someone who's maybe on a house call pro or a service Titan or field edge, and they've got the capability there, uh, but they're just not quite certain where to start when it comes to tracking. So we, we, we would suggest that, um, you know, one thing I love about what we do at BDR um, is we, we have a, a very set way of doing our marketing budget. You know, it all gets tied to our call counts and, and in our sales. So we go through that process and we determine, you know, how many, um, how many calls are we going to need? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we partner um, with the software side of it, you know, the Titans. How are we going to track that Field Edge, House Call Pro? How are we going to track that in our in our incoming information? Is the CSR or dispatcher or whoever is answering the phone asking that question each time of new customers? You know, what made you what made you call us today? Yeah, saw, saw your van, heard your your uh, your spot, um, your social media, whatever it might be. We set those different trackings up or those different uh, sources for our marketing so that we know what's working and what's not working. But we need to use our technology for that um, and have a process for that. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, I I can't speak exactly to Field Edge. I know Field Edge is great as well, but for House Call Pro and Service Titan, they've got um, open APIs for things like Zapier, which make it incredibly simple uh, to be able to display it, you know, in a, a spreadsheet or in Google data studio or wherever it might be that you want to um, track that stuff and, and things like call rail, mm-hmm. uh, which is also great for, you know, call tracking, you know, um, you know, there's, there's so many options out there and it, you know, it, it, it can seem a little intimidating at first, but um, I, I think it's, it's super important because like you said, you can generate the calls, but we need to know how many of those closed, you know, you can, I would rather get a hundred calls where 90 of them closed than to get 1500 calls and only 90 of them closed <laughs> because that 1500 calls cost way more. Right. Um, and so to be able to track that stuff, it's, it's, it's just super important um, because it, in, like you said, you know, marketing's job is to get the phone to ring, get people to your website, get people to fill out a contact form or schedule service. Um, and there's, there tends to be this notion that once the phone rings, um, marketing's done. Right. And to an extent, you know, that, that can be true because there becomes the health, the human element of the CSR answering the phone, making sure they're wearing a smile, making sure that they're, you know, helping the customer out and getting them booked. Uh, but it, it's important to understand that like 
that person may have called and the CSR may have done their best job, but it may have just been a bogus lead. They may have called the wrong company. And so it's important, you know, for marketing agencies out there uh, to keep up with the calls as well. Cause you could get a thousand calls and they're all bad and we need to know why they're bad. I, th I think that's a great point. You know, just make sure you're, you know, the information you're getting from your marketing agency is, is fully transparent, right, Eric, mm -hmm. you know, what, what are the metrics? Um, um, what marketing numbers, you know, based on impressions and, you know, we don't want to count people that are hanging up, you know, or, um, you know, or to, to make the numbers look higher than they really are. It's not, yeah. you know, it's really not acceptable. Yeah. So we need to use realistic, you know, conversion metrics, um, or you're not getting your money's worth, you know, the, how, yeah. you know, a one minute plus phone call and clicks that lead to form fills or chats, you know, that's what, you know, translates a lot to <clears throat> new customers and, and actual revenue, you know? Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, kind of digging into the weeds of Google ads for a minute. Um, I, I hope this might help some, some contractors out there listening. Cause this is actually a lesson that I learned the hard way, uh, just being open and honest in Google ads, you can set how long the phone call will last in order for it to be considered a conversion. And so for a while we were seeing like, Oh, you know, conversions are great. We're getting, you know, X amount of conversions. Um, but that was based on, you know, if the phone call lasted 45 seconds or more or a minute or more. But what I didn't realize was that most contractors, they have a, um, a holding music or tone. Like, you know, they may answer and say, you know, thank you for calling John's air. Uh, how can I make you smile today? Oh, you know, I got a busted pipe. I need some help. Oh, we'd be glad to help you with that. Can you hold for just one second? And then there's this. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you for calling John's air. We're here to help you with all your service and installation needs. And that goes for 30, 45 seconds sometimes. And so now Google's like, oh, that's a conversion. But in reality, the CSRs only talk to the customer for about five seconds. And then they, they get back and the person may hang up during that holding music. And now the agency's thinking, oh, we got a conversion. Good job, team. But in reality, it wasn't a conversion. Um, so that's definitely something I would recommend folks looking into if you are using Google ads is to uh, check on that conversion um, setting to make sure that it's more than just 45 seconds because that's the default that Google will set for you. Right on. Yeah. So when we're talking about marketing spend and allocating marketing spend, there tends to be you know some, some variance in this. Some people say 5%, some people say 10%, uh, some people say 12%. How do we, how do we allocate that marketing spend? How do we determine that marketing spend? And then how should we allocate it to hit our goals? Yeah. I think the reason you have those different numbers is um, you, have you have companies that are in different growth cycles, you know, and that could pertain to, you know, the aggressiveness of, of, look, of their revenue growth. Um, what structure do they have in place <clears throat> in the company to, to manage the growth if you're doing a nine or 10% marketing spend? Because you have to be prepared to gear up for those transactions, especially on the service side, to make that work. So, you know, I'm, I'm typically seeing people in that three to five range percent of spend. And I really um, I really like the process we have at BDR for, for de determining that. You know, we look at, OK, what was the marketing spend last year? What was you know, we looked at what is the cost per lead in service and a replacement? to get us what we needed to, to get to. And then we've, you know, we've laid out the service department for the coming year, right? So, okay, we need this many more calls. That's the expectation of the owner 
um, or the service manager, whoever's building that budget. So we need this many calls. So we assign at that point a dollar value per lead, mm-hmm. not just total dollars to the service department and towards, towards a specific category. Um, and that helps us to really lay out um, what we're going to do. The next step, you know, is to lay out your marketing calendar, you know, work with your agency that you're working with, um, but come through, you know, into the year with a marketing calendar by month, what you think you're going to spend in those different categories to hit your call counts, hit your maintenance agreement growth, um, et cetera. So, and you need to be patient with that. Mm-hmm. John, John Michael's not always as patient as he should be, you know, um, did, an, did an assessment on myself when I started with BDR. And I learned, mm-hmm. I learned more about myself, but you have to be patient, but also, you, you know, you know, do not be afraid to make changes. You know, if we set a budget and any marketing strategy and it's not performing to the expectations, um, you know, it's okay to make some changes in our, in our marketing plan. Um, so, you know, Eric, um, you know, the other part of it, it's not all about, you know, the digital ad spend. That's a big part of it, right? You know, every, everyone wants to reach us through the computer, um, through the internet, um, they want to be able to book their service call right on on um, right directly to your dispatch board. Yeah. Um, but we got to make sure in our marketing that we do not n- neglect, you know, our referral programs and marketing to our existing customer base. You know, mm-hmm. costs a fraction of new customer acquisition. You know, and um, if these if those strategies, you know, the internal how we're how we're touching our internal customer two, three, five, ten 10 times a year, um, that grows into them coming back in and doing more work with us. So um, I constantly hear, um, you know, sometimes new clients will say, we're doing maintenance for this customer for eight, nine, 10 years. And they called up to sign up for a new maintenance. And when we asked them, well, we've been doing your maintenance for 10 years. They said, well, I just got a new system. Oh, it's pretty painful, right? But we need to make sure we're continuing to talk to them about, you know, new systems, efficiency, uh, financing. You know, the cost of the system is definitely moving up. So we have to have that in our um, marketing yeah. uh, plan with the customers. How, how often do you think that they should be reaching out to their existing customers. I know this is a little bit kind of off topic, but what's like the fine line between reaching out enough to make sure, to make sure that, you know, when they need that new system, they call you and then just being annoying and running them off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's getting higher, Eric, because, um, because of social media, but I think it has to be framed and it can't all be about selling something, you know, Mm -hmm. it has to be about, you know, um, Hey, we're, we're doing this event, you know, Hey, we're training, training our guys. Hey, here's a new product. I think it has to be structured that way. Um, I see some very, very successful companies that spend, you know, significant amount, excuse me, on, on new, on, on newsletter, uh, e-blast newsletter that it's not all about, um, Hey, buy this from us. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about the culture of the company events we're doing maybe some giving back, um, et cetera. And in addition to, to programs that we do, 
but I think it depends on, you know, how, how, and how, where you're at also in your growth, growth cycle, um, how, you know, what, what your, um, what your branding is with the customer. Do they know who you are? Um, but I think it's, it's gotta be, you know, that three, five, seven, 10 times a year, depending on, you know, your relationship, the age of your company, the overall branding that you do, but boy, it's, it's, uh, it's painful when they don't know what we do and they reach out to somebody else. And that's one thing that we do. I think we got to continue to, uh, make that part of everything we do, our website, our social media, any communication that we give to our customers um, throughout, you know, throughout the year. Yeah. I think something that, this is just something that we've seen with one of our clients is a newsletter. And so we AB tested it because we were running a lot of like promotional emails for a while, you know, $79 tune up, $1,500 rebate, all, you know, the drill. And then we were like, okay, we, we kind of exhausted that lever. You know, it was, it was great at first, but then it was like, okay, we're selling too much. So then we moved to this newsletter. It was a monthly newsletter and it wasn't even, there was nothing mentioned about promos or discounts. It was like, here's our new employees. Here's a new blog article on, you know, the benefits of X, Y, and Z and how your dog affects your indoor air quality. And Here's the um, the local charity that we just participated in, and it was that was it. It was just nothing but human humanizing the brand. Essentially, is what we kind of call it. Is you know presenting to the marketplace that you're a collective of humans doing good things for people. And when we started doing those newsletters, they started getting phone calls and inquiries from the newsletter, and there was not even a sales pitch in there. There'd just be a blog post or something, and then they would say, "I need X, Y, and Z looked at." Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's so powerful. You know, it, it's, you know, it's framing marketing like the whole client experience, right? The whole client experience with your company, um, you know, and that kind of pertains to some of your internal processes also, you know, um, are we uh, maximizing the current opportunities with our existing customer base? You know, are we doing, you know, happy calls, you know, see, how, what the customer thought of our service. Do we have a uh, customer experience coordinator that, you know, is kind of following up and helping the salespeople um, make sure that <clears throat> that experience on a new system, which a customer only does one, maybe two times in their life, you know, whether, whether that's um, been a great um, circle of, you know, the circle of trust with that customer from the handoff to install from service to sales to the coordinator, is that all, you know, really smooth, you know, are we doing outbound calling surveys, you know, even thank you cards, you know, I see salespeople that, you know, when they leave somebody's house, if they write out an old fashioned thank you card or pick up their cell phone and do a digital thank you to the customer, um, all that's part of marketing and customer experience. Um, and you know, just really just following up on all of our recommendations, um, with the customer, nurturing all the leads that we get internally, um, you know, so I think all of that plays into our branding and how we're perceived by the customer and all the customers in our given marketplace. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all that, you know, the goal, right, is to, to do, do all the marketing pieces, but 
ultimate goal is for all those people that we're working with to refer us to their family and friends and uh, neighbors, et cetera. So to become a referral, referral driven company. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we tell our clients all the time is that life becomes incredibly easy when the way people are calling you and such off of Google is by searching your company name. Hmm. And that happens through that, you know, through, through the small details, through the, the handwritten card, the video, they tell their neighbor, I love John's heating and air. They were so great. And then they go on Google, John's heating and air. And that's how, I mean, we, and we can see that you can see that through tracking, you know, the, the, the search terms that people were looking at and how they found your, your Google, my business or your ad or whatever it may be. And the reason we always say like life becomes easy that way is because that lead is going to close 10 times easier than someone who's searching for, you know, an unbranded search term, AC repair near me, <clears throat> so on and so forth. Um, and, and that also, the, the handwritten note kind of reminded me, I was on Instagram this morning and I had a friend who was, I guess, flying for some trip. And when she got to her seat, she was flying in first class, there was a handwritten note and it was like, thank you so much for choosing American Airlines. And this was handwritten by the crew. And we hope you enjoy your destination, whatever you're doing this weekend. And we hope to see you again soon. And she took a picture of it and put it on her Instagram story and was like, oh, wow, this was so important, so special. And it's like, it probably took them a total whopping five seconds to say thank you Mm -hmm. and write it on a card and scribble it on there and put it on the seat. But then they just, she just took a picture of this branded card that said American Airlines with a QR code and all this stuff on it and put it on her Instagram story for her thousand followers to see. Isn't that great? I mean, it's, that doesn't cost much to do, does it? And You know, so there's there's different parts of marketing like that too. You know, it's um, if, if you're, you know, if you're really targeted in your marketing and you're targeting a certain area of your of your uh, of your territory, you know, and you get a you get a system replacement and the basic simple things, the thank you card, then you put you know a yard sign, door hangers in that. Sometimes that sounds old school these days, but, um, you know, people see your truck. How many people have you touched? You know, um, I once had a salesperson that started with our company and it came to me. um, Great guy. And he's like, how do I break, you know, the first year sales record for the company? And I think it was a million three or a million four. So that's probably 10 years ago. Um, So I said, Hey, you know, our policy or our process is to put a yard sign and door hang five, five and five or 10 across the street. Just do that and let's track it. And he did it and we tracked it. Eric, he hit like, I think the number, I'm, it's getting, I'm close, <laughs> was around $318,000 in sales just from door hangers and yard signs, kind of owning that neighborhood. When he started with the company, I, I remember him coming back in the second month. He had sold like three units in the same cul-de-sac. You know, wow. he did great. The process was great. He had an exceptional um, customer experience coordinator working with them. Had the customer had a great experience with the with the service tech, and they told their friends, and they just kept calling him. So, yeah, pretty powerful stuff. Kind of owning owning the the area and really marketing your company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's that's always a, a powerful strategy, and it's it's cheap to get those door hangers printed off. I mean, you could get ten thousand of them printed off for a hundred bucks, 
and mm-hmm. it takes that technician less than 10 minutes or the installer or the comfort advisor less than 10 minutes most of these homeowners are off at work anyways so it's not like you're going to get run off with a broom right uh, go five to the right go five to the left go across the street put the yard sign out um and yeah it, it's just it goes a long way so and that you know that's a, that's a pretty good strategy and so when we're talking about other marketing strategy and um kind of how this all plays together, how to achieve marketing strategy. What's some advice that you typically give your, you know, your contractors at BDR? Yeah. Another piece is make sure you have a marketing strategy around your maintenance program. Okay. Maintenance program absolutely has to be profitable, you know, with the shortage of service technicians and um, how hard that work is, you know, we, we need to have a marketing strategy that fits around a profitable maintenance program. Mm-hmm. Give your staff, meaning everyone, the tools to be able to sell maintenance contracts and spiff the heck out of them for doing so. Maintenance programs are the foundation of any residential focused HVA shop, HVAC shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we help clients build those all the time. My personal experience, you know, you know, 2008, 2009, um, our company was doing a lot of, of new construction from 2005 to 2008. We focused on building maintenance program and we built our, our base up to, you know, from about 2000 to 10 to 12,000 maintenance agreements, whatever that number is for you. But we had it, everybody focused on it. And when 2008 hit, we stayed profitable. The company stayed profitable. When we went to the bank meeting that year, they told us we were one of the only contractors that were profitable through that major dip. Some people think that dip might be coming next year or the year after. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But if you have, if you own the maintenance agreements, you own the, you own your territory, you have the work, all that leads to other, um, other work for your company. The other part of it is employee retention, which, you know, has to be part of our overall marketing strategy too. You know, if your CSRs are spiffed to talk to the customer and sign them up for maintenance, I got stories left and right from my clients that their customer service people are paying their um, car payment with their spiff check. Oh, wow. Or, you know, how cool is that? You know, you want to be the employer of choice and bring, Bring employees in, service techs, customer service, dispatchers, have that maintenance program, SPIF program set up and drive your business forward because it leads to all kind of other work um, in your company. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing that down. That's that's a good one. I'm not sure if I've heard of the the SPIF for maintenance plans. That's, that's huge. And that's another thing is um, I, I think it's important for them just to put your maintenance plans on your website. A lot of people, the thing is like how much these maintenance plans, you usually have a good, better, best, depending on how many systems you have or whatever your needs are. And they're what 187 bucks a year, 250 bucks a year, 300 bucks a year, or you can, you know, break it down monthly. Yep. Spotify is 10 bucks a year or 10 bucks a month or 12 bucks a month. You know, that's 150 bucks a year. I'm dropping on Spotify and Spotify has no problem putting, the cost of their monthly subscription on their website. Uh, same with any type of recurring service. A lot of times they're, they'll put it on their website. So I'm telling you, like we used to, we used to like just put 
general information about maintenance plans on websites. And then we had a, a few clients that were like, Hey, maybe we should just put the price on it and show everything that's included. When we did that, they get contact form fills daily. I want to sign up for a maintenance agreement. I want to sign up for a maintenance agreement because there's no other objections at that point. It's here's how much it costs. Here's what's included. Here's how often you're going to get the service. And now people are reaching out to them. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's a great point, Eric. Um, make it easy for your customer to do business with you. Right. If you're just waiting for them to call you all the time, that's, that's not, that's not always going to happen. You know, can they sign up for your maintenance program in a very easy to do way on your website? Can you make it a month? Can you do it on a monthly payment? Like you've mentioned with Spotify, because, you know, they tend to stay with that, tend to renew it um, more easily uh, that way. Um, and the same with like we talked a little bit earlier, how do they sign up for a service call? Can they do that in your chat? Can they do that right to your dispatch board? Because, mm -hmm. you know, Uber, whatever it is, you know, has made that almost uh, this the way we do business. So um, we, we have to have ways of making it easier for our customers to find us, to know who we are and to um, be able to do business with us and then provide a great experience from there so that they tell their family and friends, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we could do an entire episode on maintenance plans because I think that they're the, one of the most valuable things that any contractor could invest their, their effort into uh, just because it's, like you said, it's, it's predictable revenue and it's not, you know, a huge revenue dollar, but it's predictable income. And you get an op, you get, you get the opportunity twice a year to get your foot inside of someone's home, especially if you're a trifecta company, mm -hmm. you know, heating, plumbing, electric, or, you know, if you do more than just heating and air, now you get the opportunity twice a year to get in the, into the home. And if they have an issue, they're going to tell you because you're already their contractor of choice. So they're going to say, Hey, you're, you know, your furnace looks great. Everything's good to go. And they will likely say, and I've done this before. Okay, cool. Can you take a look at this faucet? It won't stop dripping. Can you, you know, th this drain smells so bad. And then now you just got an opportunity to get your plumbing division in the door. That's so true. You know, every dollar of maintenance turns into two, three, four, five. I can even say some that are six when they, they have what you mentioned, the trifecta, you know, doing multiple mm -hmm. trades. You also have to look at that over time. Maybe, maybe all we did was maintenance this year and it's 300 bucks or 350 bucks or whatever the number is. And then next year we do maintenance and a demand call. And then next year we do maintenance, demand call and a new system. Mm -hmm. You know, they put all that together. That maintenance could lead to 10, 20, $30,000 over a 10 year period or more. Yeah. So you really have to have, the, you know, the long term strategy with that too. Mm -hmm. But I think the other key to the maintenance programs and um, you have to make it fun. You know, I think everybody that comes to work kind of wants to know what the score is. Yeah. So back to the beginning, how do we, how do we set a goal? You know, what is the goal? How many, how many do we want to have, you know, and then update the team, post it old whiteboard, scorecards with TVs mounted, whatever works in your company, make sure everyone knows what the score is on a daily basis and then let them know 
uh, especially when they're smashing those goals. Um, because if you don't do on the negative side, if you don't do that, it's going to all of a sudden you're going to have a big spike and then eh, we're not selling them anymore. But if yeah. you keep celebrating it and making it fun, maybe have a big audacious goal type of thing, you're going to continue to grow your maintenance program and it's going to be fun and celebrated with the team. It's probably one of the, one of the biggest weaknesses we have as contractors. We're just not good at celebrating, you know? So we, we, if we get better at that, it grows and yeah. it's fun. And that story about somebody paying their car payment or possibly their mortgage, you know, that's something you can really be proud of as an owner, you know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. And, yep. And that, so I'll, I'll share one more story. And I'll, I'll quit. I'll quit rambling with these stories. We have a client and these are just ideas for those listening out there who might be wondering what are some ways we can make this exciting. Uh, we have a client that <clears throat> they were a newer, they, you know, they were all commercial uh, property management type stuff. They wanted to get into residential. They had like four, four or five Google reviews and little to no maintenance agreements. So they set up a competition, a friendly competition. And it was, you know, if we hit a hundred Google reviews by this date, uh, everyone's going to get a day of PTO. Everyone's, we're going to take everyone to top golf. It's going to be all in the company. We're going to yeah. go play golf and drink beer and have fun. And they were like, also for every 50 Google reviews you get, we're going to buy you, you know, you'll get something. So like the first person to hit 50 Google reviews, got a pair of AirPod pro or AirPods pro stuff like that. you know, make it fun. <clears throat> they went from four, four or five Google reviews to like 130. I'm not kidding. In like wow. three weeks, three and a half, four weeks. I mean, they just, it was one thing after another. They're just crushing it with these Google reviews. And um, yeah. And like, that's, that's the way to go. Like you've got to make it fun for them and you can do the same thing for maintenance agreements. Cause what's a $50 gift card, you know, the ROI on a maintenance agreement <clears throat> compared to a $50 gift card to B-dubs is ridiculous. Like I'd go yeah. buy 400 of those gift cards. If it means it's going to generate a million dollars in business over the next three years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's, got, it's got to be part of your, your strategy, you know, mm -hmm. in your company, you know, yeah. you know, how many do you want? How are you going to, what tactics are you going to put in place to make it happen? And uh, like you said, celebrate the heck of it. I got so many stories rolling through my head of things, crazy things yeah. that companies have done or we've done, but it makes it fun. You know, mm -hmm. if you can make work somewhat fun, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, John, there's been a ton of great, great advice on this episode. And I, I really do appreciate you joining us and bringing on so much knowledge uh, for our listeners out there. Uh, what's a good way for our listeners to, to get a hold of you or to learn more about BDR if they're interested? Yes, you can, you can go right to uh, our BDR website um, and you can, uh, you know, um, see all of our training and, um, and uh, coaching opportunities that we have on the BDR website, which is www.bdrco.com. And there's information in there about uh, coaching, training, planning, tools, etc. I really, really want to emphasize the opportunity on the planning side um, and the coaching and training. But what we talked about here, how do we set a budget for next year? Before we know it, we'll be setting up a budget for 2023. Mm -hmm. So um, think about how you're going to do that. Check out our planning um, and our coaching and training opportunities um, on www.bdrco.com. 
and uh, we'd love to help. Uh, we'd love to help clients uh, achieve their goals, and we like we love to help owners achieve freedom in their business by structuring it so that um, they can work on their business, not necessarily in their business every day. Awesome. Well, John, thank you again so much. And thank you all again for listening to another episode of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast. We'll put a link down in the comments so that you can check out BDR's website. And as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, join our private Facebook group. Uh, You can find it either through our Facebook page, which is Rival Digital, uh, or you can just go into the search bar and type in Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast and come join the group, come chat, come hang out with us. We'd love to have you in the group. So thanks again, everyone. And until next time, stay smart. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you're an HVAC contractor in need of digital marketing services, contact us today at www.rivaldigital.com.